Here we are. Happy Memorial Day. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm Danae. Um, I'm on staff. This is... I'm Christian, and I am the middle school director here at Church. And we're, we're married. Uh, so we're, we've married the message together today um, for you guys. But before we do any of that, I wanted to just, again, say Happy Memorial Day. I know that, um, well, first of all, thanks for, like, coming to church on Memorial Day weekend. It's wonderful to see you all here. And I know Memorial Day is when we remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice and who have given their lives for us here as a country, but I always think it's a great opportunity to pause and just remember those people who are also still um, putting their lives at risk and their families, because I know that that's really hard too. So if, you're, if you have been or are still military or first responder or you have family that are military or first responder, would you please just stand for a quick moment so that we can um, honor you? For, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. It's really cool what I'm, I'm seeing people who have their kids in the military right now standing. That's really, really special. So um, also, speaking of kids, uh, we have uh, elementary, middle school, and high school in here today, right? Yeah? Raise your hands. Elementary, raise your hands. Do I see you? Are you here? Middle school? Yeah, clap for them. They're great. Thank you for coming to church. High school, where are, you, where are my high schoolers? <laughs> Hi, Jabin. Um, so we're really glad that you're here with us today. Christian and I are going to um, do our best to keep you guys engaged and entertained. But I'd also like to say, if you're elementary, I don't, did you guys see this little station out here for you? There's some packets and like a little bucket of color crayons and colored pencils. And this is a way that you guys can kind of also follow along with what we're saying up on stage. So if you don't have one of these, they're right out there. Feel free to come, go and grab one and, um, and, and come on back. Um, yeah, so th those are, that's my announcements. Uh, but, you know, today we're talking about Isaiah 40. Last week, Chris talked about the Tanakh, and he talked about sort of like a, a wide scope of understanding the Old Testament. Dwayne gave us the, um, the chapter Isaiah 40, which um, is kind of a bit of a turning point in that book. But the theme, really, there's lots of themes that come out of that particular chapter. But what we're going to talk about today is waiting what it looks like to wait well, uh, what people of the Old Testament, New Testament did to wait well. So without waiting any longer, I'm going to turn it over to you, Christian. If you guys don't mind, let's, uh, let's get ready to start here. Uh, dear Jesus, Lord, I thank you uh, so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to uh, share your word, Lord. I thank you uh, for those uh, first responders and those military people that have uh, given their lives for us, Lord. And, uh, God, I'm just uh, excited about uh, what you have for us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, learn what you have to say about me. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I'd like to start off with a, with a story, if you don't mind. Um, this is a story that probably a lot of you have similar, like, stories and or experiences with. Uh, this story is a scary story. So it's a little bit frightening. Uh, this place that I'm going to talk about has been known to make grown men cry. Uh, it's, a, it's a three letter acronym that's worse than probably any four letter word you can think of. It is the DMV. And, uh, yeah. and when I say DMV, you guys already know that today's sermon is about waiting, right? Like, easy. Yeah, DMV is, is terrible. So, uh, two, two years ago, I bought a truck. And uh, I'm going to tell you that story in a little bit because I'm sharing with me and me. If Danae was telling you this story, she would start this story three years ago. 
Because it took me about a year and a lot of waiting on her part for me to figure out what I was going to do. There was lots of uh, consumer reports and blogs and auto trader and credentials and reviews and motor trading and all those sort of things that drove me nuts. Uh, but it's my story, so we'll start today. I went to get the truck. So all my research uh, led me to Boise, Idaho. Found a great deal. Got on an airplane, flew to Boise. Uh, got there, the guy was legit. It wasn't uh, a scheme. Uh, so I headed there, truck's there, everything's good to go. Just one small hiccup. The only hiccup was is that the truck didn't have license plates on it. Uh, because he had had custom plates on his, and he had transferred them to his new truck. And their DMV said, no problem. You know, when the new guy buys it, he just got to go to the DMV, they'll give him plates, ready to go. So I drive the truck back from Boise to Portland. The next morning, wake up, and I'm anxious, excited to get going. Go to the DMV, right? And uh, for those of you that know, the DM that have been to the DMV, it's, it's going to be a way to get. So I get there, you pull that magic little ticket out of the red little thing, and I'm like, number 21, not bad. And then I realize that, like, we're on number 28, so I've actually got, like, 90 more people. <laughs> um, so I, like, first five minutes, I'm like, cool, this is all right, I'm fine. And then, like, I get bored, and I've got nothing to do, and I just start, like, you know, all you got is people watching, right? So I'm at Gladstone, Gladstone, people watching, eh, like B, B plus, right? Uh, if you want real good people watching, go to the Disney Power 1 A minus. Um, people watching, I get that done for like, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. Number finally gets called to go up to the window, right? Now I've been waiting, not really know exactly what I was waiting for. I thought I was waiting to like get my license, or get the plates and stuff, but when I get there, I realize I've actually been waiting for something different. I have been waiting for a trip permit. Now, uh, trip permits are good for 21 days, and they cost only $32, lovely. So I get, my, I get my trip permit, and they tell me that my license plates will be there in eight to 10 weeks. Yeah, and I'm not happy. But uh, I do some quick math, and I realize that that means I'm gonna have probably three or four more of these lovely trips to the DMV before my plates actually arrive. So 21 days later, on the dot, I head back to the DMV for the second time. Now this time, I know what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for that second trip permit. At least I think I know what I'm waiting for. Wait again, this time I bring headphones because I've learned my lesson, it drowns out some noise, and I also can listen to some music with some audiobooks. Get up to the window this time, and I'm informed that this will be my last trip permit because you can only get two in a calendar year. Once again, not being a math major, I don't get the numbers and I go, days is not quite equal to the 8 to 10 weeks. That would be something like 56 to 70 days. So that leaves me with a nice little gap here where I can't drive legally. Um, and so then we have a very, very cordial conversation about how that doesn't really work out. And uh, I'll spare you the details because this isn't a sermon on people that make stupid laws. But uh, <laughs> I left with a smile and my second trip permit. My third trip back to the DMV, I came with, I came with an ace in my pocket. I came with a wild card. I came with my savior. I got a lady from the bank, oops, on her day off to go with me to the DMV. Like a lady from the bank on her day off to go with me to the DMV <laughs> to bring the documents that I need. And she shows up, well, I thought she was gonna show up at eight, but she doesn't. And at my age 15, I'm getting sweaty. I'm like 8.30, I'm like pacing around the outside. Like by 8.45, I'm like, oh my gosh, did they show up? Like the waiting was just brutal. Uh, 
if she showed up, all my answers were going to be resolved, right? I knew if she showed up, she had everything that I needed to, to alleviate my situation. And sure enough, she shows up at about 8.45. We get everything taken care of, and I walk out. Oh, that, that's a place for my attention. Waiting's hard, right? Waiting's difficult. We're not naturally good at it. I got some stats for you. 90% of us eat food that we know is still too hot. 64% of us do it on a regular basis. That means most of you like that feeling of a burnt tongue and the like, look at the mouth, no, like it's terrible, right? How about this? 50% of us will hang up if we have to be on wait longer than one minute. So we hang up within that first minute. That means half of you have never talked to Comcast. Like, not <laughs> Isaiah 40 is all about waiting. And I relate it to my DMV story in this. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about three different kind of select people in this. We're gonna talk about Old Testament, we're gonna talk about people in Jesus' time, and we're gonna talk about us today. See, so the people of the Old Testament, uh, when Isaiah wrote this chapter, didn't know exactly what they were waiting for. It was like any of the first time at the DMV. I thought I was waiting for something, but I, I actually didn't even really know I was waiting for. I was just waiting with some excitement uh, to hopefully get what I need. The people of Jesus' time, the people in the New Testament, they thought they knew what they were waiting for. Like my second trip to Disney movie. I thought I was in there to get my second permit. Well, no. I wasn't waiting for what I, what I actually needed. And the, and the people then weren't either. They thought they were waiting for a ruler, a, a, a political leader, someone that was going to come and save them, you know, politically. Well, that's, that's not actually what they were waiting for. And lastly, us today, we're still waiting, right? But the waiting's changed. It's like my third trip to the DMV. I had, I had my savior. I had the things I needed. But man, that was, was even harder. It was more difficult. Like that 15 minutes, that 30 minutes, that 40 minutes, she's going to really show up. Like it, it's sometimes harder to wait when we already have everything we've got, right? We know that Jesus has come. We know that we have the final minister. But man, it is still difficult for us to wait today. So we're going to spend the next 20, maybe 30-ish minutes looking at Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look how it speaks, like once again, on this theme of waiting. And how it interacts with, once again, the people of the Old Testament, the people of the New Testament. And I'm going to start. We're going to start in the Old Testament, which seems like a good place because that's where the book of Isaiah is found, yeah? Um, so before I really delve into that, I just want to let you know, if you're doing the Love This Book reading, this is going to be your reading for tomorrow, Isaiah 40. The book of Isaiah is a pretty big book, um, and it's fascinating. It's a it was a little intimidating when we got this assignment from Dwayne, uh, but it's, it's fascinating. We're not going to really have a lot of time to unpack the big picture of what's going on in Isaiah. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about some historical things, but if you want to get a really good cursory overview of this book, I want to encourage you to go to the Bible Project, uh, and it's where we kind of get those, those uh, Black Hawk Church, those videos, those cartoons that kind of depict all of the different parts of the, the book of the Bible. So um, you can go to thebibleproject.com, explore Isaiah, or you can just go to YouTube and type in the Bible Project Isaiah, and you'll get, there's two videos. So if you, if you, you know, I don't, you guys probably don't ever hang out on your phone just like doing nothing, but if you find yourself with your phone doing nothing, pop that, pop in YouTube and, and look that up. I hear high schoolers laughing. Thank you. That was for you. Uh, all right, so let's spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament. We're going to just start at the very beginning of this chapter, Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 and 2. 
and says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hands, double for all of her sins. Now, it's important to remember as we get started in this book and this chapter in general that there are two different groups that are waiting. So Isaiah is a prophetic book. He's writing about things that are going to happen in the future, but he's writing in his present, which means that the people that are around him at the time could be influenced by his words. So what Isaiah was initially writing this, the dates aren't perfectly clear, Israel had been taken by Assyria. Remember, there were two kingdoms, right? There's Israel and then there's Judah. So God had promised that the seed, that the answer would come up through Judah. Assyria had been um, taken over by, or Israel had been taken over by Assyria. Um, but both of these kingdoms were doing like bad things, like naughty things, like, like PG-13 and over things. We're not going to talk about them. They were making God pretty mad. Um, Judah was a little bit better off because every once in a while they'd get a good king sprinkled in and he'd kind of undo some of the bad things that the people were doing. But then, uh, you know, another king would come in and they'd just go right back to the um, ungodly behavior, the ignoring God, the doing terrible things to each other. And, and they were just messing it up and God was going to turn them over to the natural consequences of their actions. So, um, at the time, you know, about, like I said, 700, um, they were in self-destruct mode, right? But they had this opportunity to listen and to take it as a warning. But do you think they did that? No, clearly not, because we know that they didn't do that. Uh, so what they didn't realize is that they were actually waiting too. They were waiting for God's justice and God's discipline to come and snap them back to attention, Right? So those are the people that would have read this at the time that Isaiah wrote it, but um, remember that he's predicting things that are going to happen in the future. So his second group is the intended audience, and these were people that were in exile. So the exile happened at about 590 B.C., and, um, and these people were taken off by the Babylonians. Um, it kind of happened in waves, but they, they were taken off. They were separated from their homes, their possessions, scattered from their families. They, they weren't in a position where they could go and worship where they wanted to, the way that they wanted to, uh, and, and everything had really been stripped from them, their freedoms, everything. Um, and, and you can imagine that at this point in time, they probably had the realization that maybe we messed something up here. Maybe this wasn't what God really wanted for us. And that thought is going to turn into a feeling of deep regret that they had strayed so far. So they're alone, they're isolated, they're scattered, and now they have the realization of like, man, we let God down, and now we have no choices, and we can't even go and, and worship him the right way. So has, has anyone ever been in a situation, in a relationship or something, where you know that you owe someone an apology you, you know that you need to ask for forgiveness and things just don't really feel right. There are places that you can't go, people that you don't feel like you can talk to until you've made things right with that person. Is that still a thing in America with relationships? Yep, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, so imagine that same feeling, but deeper. This is the God of their ancestors. This is the God that they've realized that they need and they can't be reconciled to him. Properly. And, and I really think that that's a lot of what people are waiting for when they're in exile, what those people were waiting for. Um, so 
their hearts were aching for that reconciliation, and it was probably more for people to bear. So if, imagine in that situation, let's read these first verses again, um, and again, imagine what they were feeling. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all of her sins. So do you hear the promise in there now, in the midst of this anguish? It's a twofold promise, right? That your hard service has been completed, it's done, and that your sins have been paid for. So this promise is a message of comfort to God's people. Even though things aren't perfectly resolved, he says it's coming, it's coming, and I have wiped it all away. And I think that that message of comfort is, is really nice. It's nice for us now too, but it's really interesting in this chapter, God doesn't end it there. He doesn't just say, oh no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, I'm, I'm working on something. Um, he goes on for several different sections of this, of this chapter to talk about um, how great and mighty he is. We're going to read just one of them right now. We're going to start in chapter or in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands just as though they were dust. Now, I don't think that God is saying these things through Isaiah to be kind of like a, hey, look at me. I can hold a mountain in both hands. Like, no big deal. I think God is telling people and reminding people who he is, that he's the creator, that he knows everything, that no one had to tell him anything so that we could remember that he's fully capable of following through on his promises, all of his promises. We have to remember how mighty God is and how temporary we are if we're going to have true faith and hope that he's going to come through for us, right? So while he speaks in, in big, bold language and, and pictures, I think that the message is really clear. The promise, as we talked about, is that we can have comfort, but the proof is in those scriptures saying that God is mighty. Who can compare to him? He can fulfill his promises. So, if you guys like fill in the blanks, you guys have a little insert in there which, where you can kind of follow along and see if you can spot where the fill in the blanks are. But we want to kind of end this little section with talking about the fact and just reminding you that while these people of Israel were waiting, it was very clear that the Lord wanted to give them comfort, that that's what they needed. Comfort and knowing that he was going to take care of them, he was capable of taking care of them. So, so write that down. Um, but since this is a prophetic book, just, not just, it's not just pro, pro, um, you know, prophesying about the exile. It actually has some, a lot of prophetic principles going into the New Testament in Jesus' time. So we're going to spend the next couple minutes really unpacking a little bit about what um, Isaiah 40 has to say in Jesus' time. I'm going to let you do that. Or the other four Gospels. There's just too many 
detail. There's too many similarities. There's too much that points towards something and then is answered in the Gospels right away. And that was kind of kind of debunked uh, with the Dead Sea Scrolls when they were found in 1947. Uh, but that just shows you some of the, the rich history of this book of Isaiah and how it points to the people in the New Testament. So when we leave the Old Testament, we leave uh, the, the Jewish people get a warning in the book of Malachi. And from that warning in the book of Malachi, so when we uh, see John the Baptist on the, on, the, on the scene from the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years, 400 years of break. It's not just a 400-year break. It's 400 years of silence. God's people don't hear from God for 400 years. 400. Like, we can't wait four seconds. Like, 400 years of waiting. And we're not even going to dive necessarily into that 400 years, but just in that, in that gap, think about the waiting and the people that were, that were looking for something new. So like I said, we, we catch up uh, in the New Testament here. We're going to start in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken on the entire Roman world. So just a little catch-up of where the Jewish people are. We've got Caesar Augustus, he's in power. The Romans, they're living under the Roman rule. They're, they're living, living in a Roman world. We've got King Herod, talked about later. Uh, and he's kind of become the self-proclaimed king of the Jews for them at the time. And the Jewish people are still waiting. They're waiting for a savior. Like I mentioned before, they're waiting maybe for a political savior, but they're waiting for a savior. In uh, continuing in the book of Luke, we meet this guy called John the Baptist. And uh, a lot of people thought John the Baptist was this guy that they had been waiting for. They thought he was the savior. But he will quickly point them in a different direction. He, he points them uh, in the direction of Jesus, and he tries to prepare them for the coming of Jesus. So in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 3 through 6, it says this. He, talking about John the Baptist, went into the country around the Jordan, pre uh, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. Now, if you've read this uh, 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah, something should kick in there. Did you catch it? He actually is quoting the book of Isaiah. He's starting off with the book of Isaiah, right here, chapter 40, the one we're learning about today. So let's see what, I, what it says in Isaiah. It says this in, uh, once again, chapter 40, but verses 3 through 5. It says, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. John the Baptist is using the exact same language that Isaiah used. He's telling people, hey, it's time to prepare, prepare our way. Make, make a straight highway. Remove those obstacles. You know that stuff in your life that's, di that's distracting you from God and making, uh, not allowing him to come in? You've got to remove those. Remove those obstacles. He's literally saying, he's like this. You know what I want you to do? I want you to roll out a red carpet to Jesus. That's what we need to do. You need to prepare. You need to get ready. And Isaiah, 
back in the Old Testament, was saying it similar, but in a kind of a different context. He's saying, hey, I want you guys to prepare to see God work. Get ready. God's going to be at work here. John the Baptist is saying here, hey, I want you guys to keep using the same language. Hey, I want you guys to prepare for the coming Messiah. Both people, both people had to wait. Both people were in waiting. But God, uh, and they were waiting specifically for God, but they were waiting in different, different circumstances, right? So what's God's promise in all of this? We're going to uh, look at Isaiah 40, 10 through 11, and we're going to see what, what God promises here. It says, See the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have gone. The people of Jesus' time are waiting. We've talked about it. They're looking for a sovereign Lord. And what does it say right there in verse 10? One who has power and can rule. Isaiah is already foreshadowing what's going to happen, right? He's saying, hey, there's someone that's coming. They're going to have the power to be able to rule. He's also saying that he's going to come gently. He's going to be, he's going to be sovereign. I love that point where he says that he's, he, he just gathers them and carries them close to his heart. It's not like this like firm ruler, right? It's like it's caring, it's loving. And that's is who the people of Jesus' time were waiting for. Jesus answers this in a proof, right? He says, hey, you know what? This is, this is the prophecy that, that someone's coming. Jesus says, you know what? And he shows up on the scene. Hey, guys, I'm the proof. And he says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20. It says this. Uh, oh, before I, before I get into it. So let me just tell you a little bit. Uh, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. All right? So cool transition. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. It is the Sabbath. And, John, and uh, Jesus is going to go to the synagogue like he normally does. So he goes to the synagogue and he gets handed a scroll. And on that scroll, I bet you guys can't guess. Like, like, he gets handed Isaiah, and we're going to see what he says here. It says, he, we're talking about Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone, everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. Jesus gives us another promise here, right? He's going to proclaim the good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. Setting the oppressed free. The Lord's favor, right? More promises. But at the end, see what he does there? He says, hey guys, I know you've been waiting. But I am the answer. I'm the thing you've been waiting for. The proof of Isaiah's promise is Jesus. And Jesus proclaims himself to be the proof right there. He says, the way's over. Here I am. I'm the one. The, new, the people of the New Testament have been waiting with expectancy, 
also talked about, you know, go back to the Old Testament, they're still waiting. They're waiting to be students dead, right? And they're waiting literally in, in times of, of trouble. They're, at one point, it talks about the desert. Like, they, they've literally been in the desert. They've figuratively been in the desert. It's been dry. There's been dry times in their life. And they have been just sitting there waiting for this moment. And Jesus shows up after John the Baptist points them towards, towards this Jesus guy. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm the fulfillment of this. I'm the one we've been waiting for. So what did the people of Jesus' time need? What did they need while they were waiting? They needed revelation, right? They needed to know that Jesus was there. They needed to know that here I am. The scripture's been fulfilled. I just love that part of how Jesus comes in and using Isaiah, using something that happened hundreds of years ago, says, you know what? I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to be the one to answer the call to the point you've been waiting for. I always imagine if that were to like happen nowadays, we would just call that like a mic drop moment. It's like, I'm your guy. Here I am. So how does this affect us now? I think it's wonderful the way that Scripture connects Old Testament to New Testament and now. That's why we call it the living word. This word will not die. It will be relevant yesterday, today, and forever. And it applies to us now. You know, it's probably safe to say that very few of us will really suffer the way that these groups have suffered. We'll have our you know, not having freedom, feeling really, really far from God, because now we've got Christ's sacrifice, his victory, we've got his spirit, we have those things. So, so waiting today is going to look a little bit different, but it's still important to God that we wait well. It's still important to God that we ask him for the things that we want and that we wait on him. So, you know, we know the end of the story. Right, And I imagine that the most content person in this room, the most spiritually mature person in this room, the only thing that they're waiting for is for Jesus to come back, which we all are. But the rest of us that aren't maybe that wonderful um, probably have things in our lives that we need God to come through for us on. Whether it's a circumstance or a door to open or a house to sell or a person that we love to change their mind about something or God to do a change in us, we will always find ourselves in a state of waiting for something. And I think that this scripture gives us the pathway to wait really, really well. So that's what we're going to spend this last, we're going to kind of land the plane and spend this last section talking about. So let's, um, let's look, let's skip to the bottom of this chapter and go to verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If you guys are, some of you guys might be familiar with that last section of scripture, and I, and I love it because I really think it paints a picture of what it looks like to wait well. But I'm going to just pause for a second and share just a little bit about my own story of waiting. I'll try to go through this pretty quickly. But you, okay, Kids, are you still with me? 
middle schoolers, kids, high schoolers. I have a question for you guys. How many of you have a plan for what you want your life to look like? Anybody? Yeah? How many of you guys know what you want to do when you grow up? Tell me, shout it out. Let me know. What do you want to do? Yeah? We had two people who wanted to be police officers in first service. Yeah? I see you, Calvin. What? Um, oh, jeez. A missionary. Well, God bless you. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a, you know, you're in the right spot. Anybody else? Middle schoolers or high schoolers? Do you guys know what you want to do? A special education teacher. Awesome. My goodness. Oh, my. Okay, Elijah. Automotive. Automotive. Whatever. We've all decided that you're going to become a pastor. <laughs> but cool. You can still work on cars. Um, so uh, when, thank you. And um, anyone have plans for their family, what they want their family to look like? No? You see, yeah, first service was really quiet about that too. It's okay. Should, people shouldn't ask you that question anyway right? Uh, but okay, so when I was about fourth grade, fifth grade, I had a plan for my life, and um, it was pretty good. I was going to graduate from high school, go to a Christian college, meet a guy there, didn't really care who, and um, get married after graduation, be married for, and get a job do, doing something. I think I wanted to be maybe a drama teacher or a counselor or something like that. Uh, and I knew that the job, would, we'd just get a job and make lots of money. After three years, I would, we'd start our family. I'd have 2.5 kids, and then by 30, I'd be done with all the hard stuff. I know, right? Yeah, that's when the hard stuff begins. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that was my plan, and I was pretty excited about it, and it really kept me up through at least high school. I was on track for that. And then, um, then my senior year, my parents split up. Um, I started dating someone who wasn't a believer in Christ, and it, it actually took a while to get that straightened out. So then, as, as I kind of got things back together, I got a job I liked, um, I was right with the Lord, I found myself early to mid-20s, no boyfriends, no prospects. Aww. Nobody, nobody seems surprised. First service wasn't surprised that I was single either. Uh, and... And I really, um, I was having a really, really hard time. I was, I was kind of wondering why I was sitting there watching everybody else get everything that I wanted, and I didn't see any kind of relief coming. And it was really, really hard. It was really hard for me. And I had this fantastic church family that was so nice about asking me why I was still single and keeping up with me on all of that and fixing me up with their 40-year-old friends. And, um, and that was really, yeah, you know who you are. And, uh, and it was great, and it was really kind, and it was actually nice to kind of to, to, to go through that and not feel alone in it, but, but it was really, really hard. And I would just prayed that 35-year-old Danae would like come back in time for a quick moment and just say, hey, everything's going to be fine. You're, you're, you're okay. Like, life isn't terrible. And, uh, but that never happened. Um, and then, when I was 27, I met Christian. Actually, just right over here in the parking lot. That's this guy, by the way. Uh, my first husband. Uh, and... <laughs> We met in the parking lot, and it's a really awkward story because I was just really, really, really socially weird. Uh, that's a story for another time. Uh, and a couple months later, he asked me out on a date. Uh, and it's funny, I kind of laughed out loud at one point in time when I realized that Christian and I were going to get married. Uh, he's four years younger than me. So I laughed to God in a moment of praying when I was like, oh, Lord, maybe, you know, I thought you were waiting for me to do this, like, perfect song and dance so that 
so that you knew that I was ready to be married, but I, he just had to get old enough. <laughs> like, that's all. That's all that needed to happen. He had a really nice car. He was buying a condo, and it was like, he was impressive. Um, so we met at 27. Uh, we married when I was 29, and at 32, we had our first child. And here I am, 36. I'm living the dream, right? Um, and I won't even get into the fact that we actually... I know a lot of people have waited longer, but it took us a year of hoping for a child before we got one, and that was a really hard year as well. Uh, but, he, but, you know, here we are. God's come through, and, but I'm still waiting for other stuff. So why is it important to God that we get better at waiting? I will never undervalue the huge impact that those years had on my life. I was struggling, but I was still accomplishing things that I didn't even understand I was accomplishing. I grew a ministry. I cultivated a community here. I, I never had plans or goals to do that, but here I am because of that. And, um, and God and I, we worked through some things that has made my faith deeper and better and made me a more authentic and open person. I think it's made me a better wife. I think it's made me a better mom. And it was happening in the struggle, and it was happening in those years. There is huge value in waiting, but this is the problem in the world that we live in. If it's not valuable, people won't wait for it. If you can't immediately see the value, people won't wait for it. If you, if you see the value of something, yes, you'll be willing to wait. I mean, my, my husband's phone can't hold a charge, but he's waiting until September for the new iPhones to come out <laughs> before he's going to upgrade. I mean, you're like a saint for being willing to wait that long. But I think that's the problem, is that we have to remember the tremendous value of waiting well and of God's will for our lives, and that he's taking care of us both eternally and in the moment. So this verse, especially verse 31 here, is really where we hit it. I think that, that he paints a, a really, really beautiful picture. So let's read this again. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So I kind of got your fill-in-the-blanks a little bit wrong, so you want to skip down to that last section if you're following along for those three ones, because we're going to just unpack those three images here. They will soar on wings like eagles. I think he's saying that we can wait with both joy and with freedom. Pick your favorite word if you don't want to write them both down. But that we can, in fact, soar on wings like eagles when we're waiting for God to, to show up for us. We don't have to be down. We don't have to be sad. We know that he's going to come through. So you can wait with joy and you can wait with freedom. Now, that is not, that is not normal. That's not how we normally wait. That's not how the people of the Old Testament waited. That's not how the people of Jesus' time waiting. They were struggling and they were angry and they were angsty. But because we have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And I think God wants us to know that he can call us to that. So the second one is run and not grow weary. And I think that means that we wait with activity and with expectancy. Now, we wait. We don't just sort of sit there and go like, hmm, hmm. And you've got to show up. But we actually move and we do our part of things. Now, we don't step ahead of God. We don't try to control the situation, but we keep busy. We move forward. We're active. We're engaged. We are anticipating that God's going to come through for us. And we're doing likewise. And then the last one, they will walk and not faint. I really love this one because it speaks of perseverance. It speaks of faithfulness. 
being steady, staying the course, not stopping, not giving up, recognizing that God does not operate in our time. God is outside of our time. So we just need to stay the course. So here we have um, the promise. The promise here is that those who wait on the Lord will have renewed strength. That again, that is supernatural. That's not anything Pinterest is going to help you figure out for yourself in your life. That's something we can only get from God. That's how impossible it is on our own. And the proof, this is where it gets a little sticky for all of us here, the proof is our lives. It's that we live it out. It's how we encourage each other when someone's having a hard time with this, which also means we have to be open with each other. It's how we seek him in the midst of our troubles. So that's, this, is, this is our charge. It's up to us. We have to, live, we have to live this out. We have to model waiting well with God's help. And popping back up to your very last fill-in-the-blank, in our time, what I think we need to do to wait well is to just remember that we have it all. We have to remember. We can't forget. Sometimes that means you have, to, you have to remind yourself of the ways that God's come through for you before. You have to listen to the stories of other people where God's come through for them. We have to remember we have everything we need. So with that, we have some assignments for you if you want to flip over your insert. We, we want to leave you uh, guys with a challenge. So uh, be it today, be it tomorrow when you got the day off, or barbecuing. Uh, before you go to bed, whatever it is, take a, take a moment to just think on these, on these three questions. We want to we leave you with this. So the first one is this. Ask yourself, what are you waiting for? Like, like what's going on in your life right now that, that you are currently waiting for? Maybe it's uh, a door to open. Maybe it's uh, a new career. Maybe it's, like Janae, maybe you're waiting for Mr. Christian. Wonderful. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful to walk in. I don't know. Maybe, you know, what, what are you waiting for? Like, what's... Before, you get, before we get too far down the road, let's just identify what, what it is that you're waiting for. And the next thing we want you guys to do is consider how you're maybe not waiting well. How are you waiting in your humanness? Uh, do you tend to wait with anxiety? Are you trying to control something? Are you trying to force something? Um, are you angry? I know I tended to ignore God a little bit when I was waiting for him. Like, well, if you're not going to, whatever, you know. I was very teenager-y about that. Just just kidding, guys. Got to stay awake. Uh, but, you know, and this is really just a confession moment for you to just identify to God, like, hey, this is, you know, this is probably my tendency. This is how I really step ahead of you in my life. So that's question number two. And the last question is this. How do you need to wait on the Lord? We talked about those three things at the end. What one of those do you, I mean, maybe you need all three, and that's, that's awesome if you can identify that. But what one of those three things do you need right now? Do you need, do you need the hope? Do you need, do you need to wait with expectancy, or, or do you need to wait with perseverance? What, what, what section of that do you mostly need and not something that you're waiting for? And it's really just our prayer for you and us that you would walk away just having this conversation with God and other people and letting him and his word sort of transform you in that way. So with that in mind, let's pray together right now. God, we are just so grateful that we have the, your living word, that we have the stories of the ways that you've come through for people, and Lord, that we have your spirit so we can understand it on levels uh, that we can't even explain. So as we move from this place and we go into a world that doesn't wait for anything, it's our prayer that we would be transformed, 
that our minds would be renewed, Lord, and that we could wait with perfect hope and peace and excitement about who you are and what you're going to do in our lives. God, we just thank you and praise you for who you are this day, this beautiful weather, this holiday weekend. Lord, there's much to celebrate, and I pray that you would hear our joy as we move forward. In your son's name we pray. Amen.